Hi, I'm Meredith. And I'm Katie. And this is I'm Not Scared, You're Scared. A horror movie podcast. Today, uh, or tonight, it's not daytime. (laughs) (laughs) We're talking about the movies Ouija from 2014 and then Ouija Origin of Evil from 2016. Uh, but before we start talking about the prequel, we got to do the first. The original. And before we begin, we, we should honor the uh, tagline of Ouija, as friends we gather, hearts are true, spirits near we call to you. So anything we say beyond that on this podcast, we'll, we will be summoning demons. Okay, so we end this now? We should just say bye? Yeah, just just say goodbye. I'm are fine, you in a though. Graveyard? I'm not in a graveyard. <laughs> Well, that's where I'm. This is where I'm zooming from is a, a graveyard right now. Absolutely. So that was the deal. So it, just for fun, not because it's necessarily re- relevant to the movies, um, but we have a little bit of history of the Ouija board game itself. Um, so spirit boards obviously have a long history um, dating back to prehistoric times, not prehistoric times, but ancient times. Before the dinosaurs. Prehistoric, <laughs> they, they drew them up on the walls of their caves. Mm-hmm. The dinosaurs put their little claws in, in no. Um, so a man named Elijah Bond in 1890 filed for a patent on the planchette, which is the little triangular piece with the clear circle in it um, that you use on top of the Ouija board. So that planchette item is what he patented in 1890 to be sold with the lettered board itself. And so Elijah Bond is credited with the invention of the Ouija board as far as modern, the modern concept of it is. A man named William Fold took over production of the game in 1901, and he actually named it Ouija, claiming the board itself gave him the name. Uh, so he skyrocketed the Ouija board into popularity in the 1920s. Uh, apparently, he often consulted the Ouija on matters of business. And at one point, the board told him to, quote, prepare for big business. So he took the advice and built the large new factory, which he would eventually fall from and die in 1927. Bummer. Womp, womp. <laughs> Bummer for him. Yeah. So his family carried on the business until 1966 when they retired and sold it to Parker Brothers. Uh, Parker Brothers was sold to Hasbro in 1991. And since then, Hasbro has continued to release many different versions of the Ouija board, including Glow in the Dark, which I'm totally on board with. Tight. I want uh, that. Pink boards for girls. I don't want the pink one. I want the one. I want it with glitter and I want it to glow in the dark. Yeah, 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 glitter. It doesn't need to be pink, but glitter is good. Mm-hmm. Glitter and glow in the dark is all good. Uh, and so, n- notably, in terms of our milieu of horror movies, uh, is the appearance of the Ouija board in the movie The Exorcist, when Reagan uses it to contact Captain Howdy, uh, who you, you, we believe is the demon that eventually possesses her. So, before we jump into this movie, I have a question for you, Meredith. Have you ever, or would you ever, play with a Ouija board? Uh, I got one. It was given to me by like one of my favorite aunts. That by actually my mom doesn't doesn't like her, but I mean, <laughs> I mean this is not an information like this is like family lore that everyone knows. We'll save but, that for the family podcast. <laughs> I know she uh, gave me a Ouija board for I think my ninth birthday. Or, I can't remember. Good I was age. pretty young. Good age. I, I can't remember. Uh, 
so I had it. I was like, oh, cool. I got to use it like once. And my mom, who's like evangelical Christian, Ooh. obviously threw it into the fire. Absolutely. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't know if she threw it into the fire. She probably wanted to, but she at least threw it in the trash and says, you are not playing with that in this house. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, okay, uh, fine. So I played with it. I would have played with it more. I wasn't afraid. But then again, I'd never seen The Exorcist at that point. So maybe I would have been a little more leery. See, I saw The Exorcist when I was fairly young because my my childhood was based around watching movies taped off of TV. And so my parents kind of took the strategy of if it's on TV, it's safe for the kids to watch. Um, So (laughs) they were the movies were edited. A lot of unsavory stuff was omitted, but that doesn't mean that the movie itself was appropriate for me to be watching. Um, And yet never in my life have I ever been in the same room with a Ouija board. So you've never played with one before? Never played with one. And I Can honestly, I buy one and bring it to your house? It's, I, don't or it's, know, I don't know if I would comply because... My, can I throw it in your window and have it just appear and <laughs> frighten, scare the shit out of you? No, it was funny. Because, so this was maybe a few years ago. So my mother-in-law, her mother passed away, um, when, not when she was a child, but when she's fairly young. It was before my husband was born. And a few years ago, my mother-in-law randomly started visiting a psychic, which was, I mean, kind of out of character for her, it seemed to me. And she said, oh, she said that this and this, and she knew this about my mom and all, you know, all of that, like standard predictable psychic stuff. Mm-hmm. And my my skepticism around it, I, I could kind of sum it, in, sum it up in this way, is that either it's total bullshit and you're wasting your money, or it's 100% true and you shouldn't be messing around with it. Mm-hmm. Now, either way, you should not be doing this. <laughs> yeah, you're going to let the evil end. I mean, I don't believe, I mean, I mean, I don't, I'm not religious. I don't believe in that stuff. But straight up, if I start playing with Ouija board and I mess with it, demons are going to get me. Like, yeah. obviously, yeah. The, the, the evil will come in. And mm-hmm. yeah. Just like when I'm, like, rationally, I've, I'm alone walking to my car uh, or I hear a strange noise at night mm-hmm. in the dark in my house. I'm rationally, I'm like, oh, that doesn't exist. But then, of course, if I hear the weird noise, I'm like, oh, witches, there's witches. They're going to get... <laughs> Well, that's like, it, it was when our, in our old house and uh, Tom, my husband was away and it was just me and the kids were little and I'd already put them to bed and I was deciding, should I watch this scary movie or should I watch this other not scary movie? And I picked the not scary movie. And while I'm watching it, it behind me, the sliding glass door onto our deck, the, the door just audibly unlocked itself. Like you could hear the lock just go click and pop open. It was like, demons. It was the I'm demons. I'm really glad I'm not watching a scary movie right now, or I would <laughs> totally ditch my children and run screaming down the street. <laughs> I would lose my shit. Lose my shit all over the place. Well, the same reason I sleep with like a blanket and it has to cover my feet. If a <laughs> foot's sticking out, obviously a demon's going to get it. Demons go right for the feet. <laughs> they just right go right. For the feet. Everyone knows that. They go right <laughs> for your feet while you're sleeping. Okay. But like while I'm awake and I'm fine, I'm like, yeah, that's doesn't that's nonsense. (laughs) That's nonsense. Yeah. 
Okay. Uh, okay, so the first Ouija movie, 2014, tell us a little bit about that. Directed by Styles White, who I don't know at all. Nobody else does either. I don't think so. It made like a uh, like a hundred million dollars. Olivia Cook's in it, who I enjoyed her from Ready Player One. I love her. Yeah, she's. I loved her in Bates Motel. I she's just, amazing yeah. in Bates Motel. She's also in that new movie you told me about. Uh, Quiet ones. with Resume. No, not the Quiet ones. Oh, Resume. Oh yeah, the one where he's the the musician. And yeah. He's hearing. Yes, it's on my of list list of movies to watch. I've heard it's really. Fantastic. So I'm going to watch it. I've got an Oscar nomination for that. I mean, I love him. So, of course, it's on my list. I've got to watch it. But uh, (laughs) the other person of note is Lynn Shay, who I love her. Sweet Lynn Shay. She's, I mean, she has a wheelhouse of, I mean, amazing. She's funny. She's frightening. She's, she can be like the tension breaker. Yeah. She can be terrifying. I mean, she's in, what, all the Insidious movies? No, the best story about her, so her brother actually founded New Line Cinema. And uh, when New Line Cinema was producing the first Nightmare on Elm Street movie, um, she is completely 100% open with, yeah, my brother went to them and said, you need to cast her in this. Mm-hmm. And it was a tiny role. She was the, the school teacher. She was Nancy's teacher in the scene when Nancy falls asleep in class. It's a tiny role. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's those things where she, it's often a tiny role that she's in, but she's so memorable. And then she linked herself with the Farrelly brothers and she was in half a dozen Farrelly brothers movies. And she was just hysterical. Like mm-hmm. she has such a range. Definitely. So I'll always watch her in every, every movie she does. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so let me see. I'm, I'm just going to do a quick just summary. Let, let's say, I mean, it came out in 2014, so it might be some time since you've watched it. Uh, and I feel bad. I, mean, I watch it every six months. I feel bad for you. you okay, so let me, <laughs> let me quickly do the summary. Uh, after the sudden death of her best friend, Debbie, Lane grapples with not being able to say goodbye to her. And she has many other questions. Um, for example, you know, why she took her own life, you know, um, and some other things. At, at her wake, Lane discovers an antique Ouija board in Debbie's room and tries to use it to say goodbye and ask some questions. Lane and her friends contact a spirit, but not Debbie. Instead, they contact a spirit that calls itself DZ. Uh, strange events start occurring to Lane and company. They attempt to find out the identity of DZ with Lane at the helm of this task. They find more information about DZ. They're terrorized and even some of them are possessed and killed in the process. Lane finds DZ or Doris Xanders, that's uh, DZ, sister, uh, in an asylum where the sister, Lena, uh, who's an older woman played by the amazing Lynn Shay, uh, who we love. She tells the tale of her evil mother sewing Doris's mouth shut when they were young, younger kids. Um, so Lane is tasked with going back to uh, find 
the secret room in Debbie's house to find Doris's body and cut open the stitches to essentially stop their mother. Uh, here's a spoiler alert. Lena has an allegiance to Doris and she's tricked them. Their mom was trying to stop Doris from harming others. Under the advisement of Lane's Nona, randomly, they burned Doris's body. <laughs> um, to go bo- burn Doris's body and the board, they go back and uh, a fight happens with Doris's spirit. After they burn Doris's body, everything kind of seems to be resolved. Uh, later, though, the planchette reappears in Lane's room. She looks through the planchette, screams in terror, and the screen cuts to black. That is my very short and sweet (laughs) summary of that movie. (laughs) You have to jump in that the one, my college only had one sorority, and they were the Delta Zetas, the DZs, and they were known as the Easy DZs. Oh, shit! (laughs) (laughs) Another link. To DZ. Oh my God. It's DZ. come full circle. <laughs> it's come full circle. Ah, uh, yes. Okay. Well, so when we chose these movies for this episode, it was largely because of this idea that we had that, you know, sometimes the sequel surpasses the original. And in this case, you know, we agree that uh, or the sequel to this movie is far better than this original. Um, but in preparing for this episode, when I rewatched the original, I found myself struggling to hate it as much as we had agreed um, that we did hate it. And I have a theory about that. Meredith, would you like to hear? Okay, I'll hear it, but you're on your own. First of of all, I'm fine being on my own. You're by yourself in the boat by yourself. I like like being alone in the boat. Continue. The the first Ouija movie in 2014 came out roughly the same time as the first, the Annabelle movie. The original mm-hmm. uh, standalone Annabelle movie of the Conjuring universe. And uh, my best friend since junior high, who was my original horror movie buddy, Hillary, we were deciding between seeing Annabelle and Ouija. And based on the television commercials that we had seen, we thought Annabelle looked ridiculous and Ouija looked really scary. And we went and saw Ouija. How wrong we were, you were like, oh, that was stupid. <laughs> that was disappointing. Uh, that was yeah. Several months later, when Annabelle came out on streaming whatever service that we had, and I watched it, and I was like, that was goddamn terrifying. That was so much scarier than Ouija. Holy crap. Holy crap. I and know. so then, I, you know, I spent, you know, the roughly five to eight years following that thinking, just talking mad shit about Ouija. And like, this is, it was a garbage movie. It was terrible. It was, you know, this and that. And when I went to, rewatch it for you know to talk about it on this podcast I was like wait a minute why did I hate this why did I think it was so terrible because uh, truly I I went through it and I was like well you know it's got decent jump scares it's got a decent story it's got some scary visuals uh but why why was this so bad and I think that it goes to a bigger picture of your expectations. And when we went into Ouija, the first time seeing it in the theaters, we had these expectations of it being this really terrifying movie and it just wasn't. So then we hated on it for a decade. When I went to go back and watch it. I I stand by my hate. Decade of hate. (laughs) (laughs) But going back to rewatch it, expecting it to be total garbage. Then I was like, oh, well, it's really not total garbage. 
it's got some redeeming qualities. And so I really think that that says a lot about your expectations going into a movie and how that affects your enjoyment. And I can give you two examples on that, Meredith, that I think will resonate with you. And that is The Witch. And that is Midsummer. (laughs) Okay. And those are feel- two movies that we will not go into depth with right now, but both no. of them went into with very high expectations. Yeah. And yeah. were disappointed. And our level of disappointment might not be reasonable for the actual quality of the movie. It was just that our expectations were so very high. Well, I feel like maybe if Ouija was just like released as a Netflix movie, we might be like, <laughs> oh, it was pretty good. Although, Netflix, man, you are really upping here. Your yeah, storytelling. Wow. The production quality on this Netflix movie is great. Your storytelling is kind of getting Adam Sandler? off the chain. Well, I mean, they're like releasing. I mean, they did Haunting of Hill House, which we can get into later. But like just so many other amazing things, yeah, projects. Sure. But I guess what I'm saying is if it's just like a streaming service, they release this movie about a Ouija board. You watch it around Halloween. You go, oh, that's scary. Like maybe it would be. You move right along. Yeah. I move right along. I wouldn't be like, ugh, you know, like just so upset that it exists yeah um i don't know i just it's not my favorite i don't think it's the worst i mean i've seen a lot of horror movies at this point i know it's surprising (laughs) that i'd want to start a podcast having seen so many i thought you'd only watched the couple we've talked about i've only watched four or five five. (laughs) other than that you're big into rom-coms i'm all about every Adam Sandler universe movie. <laughs> Julia Roberts. She's your number one. She's my number one. Yeah. No, I mean, maybe I would say you're probably right. It's not as bad as I'm remembering it. I mean, I just watched it. So it's not like I'm remembering from long ago. <laughs> your remembering is pretty recent. <laughs> I'm remembering from a few weeks ago and it was quite garbage. <laughs> Okay, if we so we had a, our viewer request to talk about our top scary moments in in the movie, and so when I was trying to think of one for this movie, tell me what you I mean, legitimately this scene, the moment. So Trevor Lane's boyfriend when he's mm-hmm. riding his bike and he explicably, unexplicably gets off his bike to walk it through this tunnel that goes under a street. Uh, oh, there's no explanation. You mean the murder tunnel? Like yeah, the, the tunnel where you, tunnel. The tunnel where obviously you get murdered. Obviously, the, the <laughs> tunnel where you go to get murdered when you're yes. like on your checklist of like, you know, uh, get breakfast, go to school, go get murdered. Go get assaulted uh, under this tunnel. <laughs> that that scene of him and, and also like there's the ridiculous components of like all of a sudden he's just got a flashlight. Not only does he get off his bike to walk it through a tunnel for no reason at all, but when things weird start happening, he pulls out a flashlight because every high school boy has a flashlight in his pocket. Not his phone. Uh, that's not, not a, that's uh, my flashlight in my pocket. I'm sorry. No. I know. I'm sorry. Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> but truly, that that scene had a lot of tension built into it. And yeah. And watching that scene of him going through that tunnel and pursuing the noises and and tracking it and everything that ultimately didn't result really in anything except another high friend message on the Mm -hmm. wall. But that the duration of that scene, I thought, was really high tension and really scary, even in even with the ridiculous components notwithstanding. I think that if I cared more about the character, I would have been more nervous. You didn't care about Trevor? I don't, I don't give a flying, I don't care about him. 
I don't, Ugh. this doesn't matter. I think the only part that I was like a little nervous where it was a little palpable was when they were just going about their business in the house. She was taking care of it. And it, for some reason, she was given the task of house sitting. I don't know why. Yeah, that was and, total bullshit. And then all the adults. Your best friend just died and her parents are going to ask you to house sit immediately after. I know. And then all the adults left. Like her dad's like, gotta go. And then there's old Nona who checks in sometimes. Yeah. Uh, okay. Anyway, I digress. She She's in there like spraying the plants and doing other things and there's just like shit. <laughs> I know there's just like this weird like nervousness I a little bit I felt but not really because I didn't I mean, care no, about I her that would be I would feel that nervousness how sitting a home where my best friend didn't just commit suicide yeah like being in an empty house that's not yours to house it is an is an unnerving experience well when you walk into a house that's not yours and there's just like this stillness yeah, you're and like you come out, in. You go, oh, that's where my friend hung herself from. Yeah, kind of a drag, right? I don't know. So, I don't really. Aside from that part, there's no, there's no parts that I. Aside from Lynn Shay's parts and where she's in the mental hospital, she was great. I loved her. I appreciated those scenes because I like her as an actor. Uh, I'll watch her. Um, and she was the twist. So. I mean, she was the rel- the revelation, revelation, revelation. Either one. Revelation. And re- revelation. <laughs> She's she a revelation. Both. That's yes, how yeah. she is. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, there's nothing really that stuck out for me in that movie as just like terrifying or, or uh, masterful to me. But to, if we're to talk about to... the prequel. Oh, yeah. Evil. That's just a, a completely different animal, I feel like. Okay, so they made like a hundred million dollars from that movie that came out around you know halloween time it was meant to scare and it was meant to just make some cash and yeah. not, not necessarily tell a compelling oscar worthy story yeah. <laughs> just you know or to create um, some some huge franchise that was gonna yeah you know, evolve from there so then uh or ouija origin of evil was released in 2016 it made about 80 million dollars uh, but as opposed to the predecessor, which was like 6% fresh, uh, the remake was 82% fresh for like just just being really well written. And, and everyone kind of agreed, like uh, reviewers were just like saying much better than the predecessor, just had really good storytelling and, and yeah. just very well done. It's written, it was created or written by Mike Flanagan. I'm a huge fangirl of Mike Flanagan he did most people probably are and they don't even realize it just because oh. they don't know who he is they probably oh, love for all sure. of his stuff for sure he did um, Oculus he did Hush he wrote that with his wife Kate Siegel uh, you would recognize her um, from the beginning scene of The Origin of Evil and many other uh, shows and movies uh, Before I Wake uh, Gerald's Game which was insane <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, Doctor Sleep, The Haunting of Hill House, The Haunting of Bly Manor, and he has another series in the works on Netflix. I forget what it's called. I have to find that out. I think it has the word midnight, but um, but it's I mean, not I, another season of the the haunting series. I don't think so. But either way, I'm like I'll be the first to watch it for yeah, sure. Uh, 
Yeah, so people who are cast in this are Elizabeth Reeser. You'd recognize her from like Twilight, a bunch of other stuff. And then The Haunting of Hill House, she was in that that show. Annalise Basso was from Oculus. And then, of course, Lulu Wilson, who is, I mean, a child actor who's terrifying and amazing. Yeah. And Terrifying I just, in I, her adorableness. Oh, my gosh. She's an yeah. Annabelle... Uh, Annabelle a, Creation. Creation. The Haunting of Hill House. She's in Sharp Objects. Sharp Objects. Oh my gosh, I did, I loved that show. It was so good. But what I love about um, Origin of Evil is that you have Lulu Wilson and Elizabeth Reeser, who in Haunting of Hill House they play the young and old version of the same character. Oh Lulu yeah, Wilson plays young Shirley, and Elizabeth Reeser plays adult Shirley. Yeah, so I mean that makes sense. Is like she's cast as her child. In this movie, yeah, because yeah. maybe and then uh, yeah. Henry Thomas, Henry Thomas, E.T. Elliot from E.T. Henry Thomas. He's also been cast in a lot of Mike Flanagan's project as well. And Gerald's game, he's the creepy dad in Haunting of a Hell House. He played the father uh, when they were younger, yeah. and then um, in Haunting of Bly Manor, he played the uncle who was just—he's just so good. He does such a great job. Yeah. Uh, so I, oh, and then um, Doug Jones, who plays uh, the demon, um, he's just tall and slim, and he 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 were he's usually like a creature or a monster. In so many movies, you've probably watched like um, The Shape of Water, Pan's Labyrinth, The Strain, Star Trek, Hellboy, Hocus Pocus. Just like was he uh, the fawn in Pan's Labyrinth? Uh, the creature with the eyes on oh, his hands. Oh, he was that creature. I think oh I'm pretty god, sure. That was so scary. He's terrifying. He so also pla- scary. Oh my god. Uh, I love. I mean, he's 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 also in the what we do in the shadows and, but he plays Billy Butcherson in Hocus Pocus, which I loved as a child. I will. I mean, it's he's fantastic. See, and, let's not get into that because that falls in the category with me of movies that if you saw it as a child, you love it, and if you saw it for the first time as an adult, you don't get it. Because I never saw it growing up, and I just watched it a couple of years ago, and I was like, "This is garbage." You need to probably leave this podcast right no, now. I don't. I, I don't think you, <laughs> you should go. Okay, so let me quickly. My summary is kind of long, but I didn't want to miss too much because it's just such a good. I mean, compared to its predecessor, this is just uh, just so well written, and they well, yeah, so and much it, like character you, development. I wonder before you you start. I always wonder in a situation with the prequel is uh, you know did they look at the original movie and then say oh this is what potentially could have happened before, or did they already have that backstory kind of in existence when they made the first movie and then they were like okay well now we're going to flesh this out and make it into its own movie as a prequel because this prequel tells an incredibly compelling story. Mm-hmm. That is way more interesting than the story that occurred in the original movie. And so it's mm-hmm. hard to imagine that it was developed afterward, you know? I feel like there was maybe like a rough blueprint or like an idea that they included in the the original. And they're like, oh, well, this happened with the, the family. And that's why DZ is this way. But yeah. like, maybe they didn't go too far into it. Uh, and then Mike Flanagan took over and just really dived in to maybe excuse me i'm a wizard i'll do this (laughs) (laughs) yeah just like writing the story and i mean making it just completely watchable and scary and amazing of course and yeah um 
But the characters, I just, I don't feel as, I mean, I can go into this later after I talk about the the uh, summary or just like the kind of summarize the movie, but I don't feel any of these characters just made really bad, stupid choices. Yeah. Like I, 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 didn't, I wasn't like, oh, you're being so stupid. And that happens to me sometimes when I'm watching yeah. a scary. You're all about blaming the victim when it comes to I'm, all, I'm like, why are you being so dumb? But also, no, victim blaming is bad. Like, I'm chas- like that. What is it, an insurance commercial where they were like, let's hide in the shed with all the chainsaws? I, I know, right? This, and everyone's like, and that one girl's like, why are we doing this? Why don't we just get in the running car? Why don't we just leave? They're like, let's run back upstairs. And she's like, stop right. it. Why are yeah. we doing Okay, so let me quickly go into the, um, the movie or... Ouija, Origin of Evil. Uh, it's 1967, and widow Alice Xander is working as a medium out of her home with the help of her two daughters, Paulina, or Lena and Doris. Paulina suggests Alice incorporate a Ouija board into the act. I should mention that Doris and Lena help with some of the spooky, spooky effects during Alice's readings. Um, Alice decides to get a board and unwittingly contacts a spirit named Marcus. Alice is attempting to keep them all supported and afloat when she receives a foreclosure notice. Doris uses the board to talk to who she believes is her father. The spirit directs her to a hidden compartment with money inside. Alice and Doris are happy because they believe the spirit is her father, who is able to answer questions correctly that only her father would know. Soon the spirit possesses Doris, and Lena is quite worried about her sister. She manages to retrieve writings written by her sister, all written in Polish, and takes them to Father Tom, who is the school principal, uh, to see if he can get them translated. Lena makes it clear that Doris wrote the pages because she saw her do it. Father Tom is troubled and shows up at the home under the pretense that he wants to um, contact his dead wife and get a reading. Doris gives a reading and seems... That uh, it seems like it was successful. She answered questions his wife would know. Then he asked to speak to Alice and Paulina about Paulina being in some trouble at school. Um, once alone, Father Tom explains that uh, Doris was not communicating with his wife. He was thinking the answers to the questions in his head. And even though they were not correct, um, Doris or the spirit said them aloud. The writings Lena brought him were once translated, described life, death, and then after of a man named Marcus who was taken captive in World War II, experimented by a statistic, uh, or experimented on by a statistic doctor in that house, and there were others who were murdered as well. The spirits knew the answers to Alice's questions when she initially thought it was her husband because they were in the house the whole time that the family was living there while alice and uh lena and father tom are discussing their predicament lena's boyfriend comes over is tricked into going to the spot where doris found the money he finds skulls and ids of people murdered in the home he is then possessed by the spirit and hangs himself the three return downstairs to discover the body. They burn the Ouija board in the furnace. Father Tom finds the secret room, and he tries to rescue Doris, only to get possessed and then killed himself. 
Alice is captured, Elena walks over to her, uh, or wakes on her bed where her the spirit of her father had carried her. Later recalls finding, earlier in the movie, finding her doll with uh, the mouth sewn shut and receiving the explanation for, from Doris after she first accused her, her of doing that, that her dad had sewed the mouth shut to stop the voices that possess. Lena goes to sew Doris's mouth shut to stop the evil and fights the spirits. Doris dies and is reunited with her father. Lena runs over to free her mom, but is possessed momentarily and stabs her mother, who and then she dies. Lena is then in a mental hospital, having been blamed for the murder of Alice and Doris. She, she says she's not alone or won't be alone again. She creates a makeshift Ouija board out of blood and succeeds in summoning Marcus and Doris's form. Post-credits, you see Lena, um, who is Lynn Shay, receiving an invi- uh, a visitor, uh, which kind of connects to the pre- or, you know, the original. Yeah. So that's a quick... Very short and sweet. Well, maybe not so short. Summary. Yeah, it's a great movie, though. Such a great story. It's it's amazing. I just, I mean, compared to like the source or the original, uh, I mean, it's just so such amazing. Like writing, character development. Like I said, I don't feel like any of the characters were just being very stupid. I just felt like Alice, their mom, she was just trying to like survive and she's built has like grief she's mm-hmm. dealing with from the loss of her husband she's just trying to make ends meet and she truly believes like when doris starts communicating with she feels like that's her her husband who has died and yeah yeah you just kind of feel bad well i think that there's a there's an appeal and a charm of the setting of this movie that kind of reminds me a little bit of the conjuring movies of it being sit, set in the 60s and 70s Mm-hmm. Like there is something um, kind of unique and uh, interesting about it being in that time period um, that's appealing to me in a way that, you know, the standard scary movie that's just set in ambiguous modern day, it doesn't have that added interest. But this one, like it, it has a, a little bit of an element of it being kind of old fashioned. You said it was it was supposed to be set in the late 60s. I think, yeah, like 1967. Yeah, around that time in Los Angeles, um, which actually that made me do it feel like make a quick t- connection to the Annabelle origin, yeah, which is absolutely. same setting sixties yeah. in LA area uh, yeah. as well. Well, um, and first, like that's one of the things I love about with um, the Conjuring too, like being in the in the sixties in London, like that's you know it's a, a it's a, a separate era wherever you are that gives it a little bit of an interest that doesn't that you don't get when it's a, a movie set in modern day mm-hmm. that i think made this one a lot more enjoyable in that way for sure um yeah i just really enjoyed it and then i don't know i just the, i guess the question i mean you know the question for me when it came to its predecessor did this movie scare me no <laughs> But did this one scare you? But did this one scare me? Um, nothing scares you. Nothing scares me. You have ice in your veins. I I was nervous. If a movie makes me nervous, <laughs> then I feel like it'll terrify everyone else and be uh, <laughs> earth shattering. Maybe and scare the scare the hell out of you. 
But I mean, did this movie frighten you? Were you scared? Yeah, I think that this this movie, you know, it, it's like any movie where depending on the setting of where you're watching it and how much attention you're paying it and how much focus you're giving it, which is the benefit of watching scary movies in the theater is you get that immersive experience of the big screen and the dark environment and the focus that you give the story that makes it a little bit scarier. Whereas if you're watching it at home and it's daytime and it's light and maybe you're pausing it and getting up to go to the bathroom and get a drink or whatever, that kind of breaks that continuity that would build the, the scary you know, environment that you might be in, Mm -hmm. um, that's going to change it. But with this, like if you are invested in it and you're watching it in the dark, undisruptive, undistracted, um, it's, it's very scary. It's got, it really builds as the movie goes on, the, the tension increases, the scary moments gradually increase to, to, you know, to a kind of a satisfying ending. And I think that for me, when I was trying to think about the um, scariest moment in it that really came to mind when I was thinking about it is it used described when uh, Lena's boyfriend, Mikey, comes to the house to um, visit Lena. And I mm-hmm. think it's when Lena is upstairs with her mom and father Tom talking about Doris. Mm-hmm. And Doris ends up taking Mikey down into the basement to show him where she found the money in the hole in the wall. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she gets him to, you know, reach his arm into the hole and he ends up pulling out the skulls. And it's, you know, the whole situation is very scary. But there's a point in it where the camera angle is Mikey's face, you know, up against the wall as he's reaching in. And Doris is behind him over his shoulder out of focus. And you see her face transform into kind of the the demonic composition that you've seen a couple of times. But it's that whole thing of it being out of focus and happening behind him and he doesn't realize that it's happening right over his shoulder. Mm-hmm. That moment I thought was, that was a really scary moment um, that I thought in, in the whole movie of a lot of really uh, tense or scary moments in that movie. That was one of the ones that stood out for me. Oh, for sure. And it kind of, uh, you see her eyes get all glowy and then her, it like, her it's jaw, a na- like stretches down and her uh-huh. mouth becomes cavernous. And then there's like a weird, unnatural, like shaking yeah yeah that happens and you're like holy shit like something very freaking scary is about to happen and it's like she like darts around him and she's whispering in his ear which is the kind of thing that happens even in the original that's the thing of the the possessed person whispering in someone else's ear and Mm -hmm. confessing them in that way yeah so that was absolutely terrifying that was such a fantastic scene and just like so much tension i could feel i remember like when i watched it the first time just like the pit of my stomach where I'm just like, oh man, like this is gonna... about to jump in my lap. <laughs> I was like, oh crap. <laughs> I know. It's a, uh, yeah, terrifying. I think, uh, I don't know. Let me think what my, the most terrifying scenes for me would have to be, oh man, when poor Doris, before she is possessed, she's like such a sweet little girl and she just wants to talk to her dad. And she's like, you know, she she wakes up her sister and she's like, I really have my something hurt my neck. My neck I'm just, hurts, yeah. I mean, it hurts really bad. And Lena gives her some some Tylenol. And she says, OK, you'll feel better in a little bit. You know, go to bed. If it gets worse, we'll wake up mom. Then she goes downstairs to the Ouija board and she's like, uh, our spirits, may, hearts may true, blah, blah, blah. Why is my neck hurting? You know, it just hurts so bad. Mm-hmm. 
And she gets up and like walks over to that mirror and you just see that creature, Marcus, played by the played by that guy. Um, And he's like inky black. He's like shiny, like black, inky black and then glowing eyes. And he just bent her backwards and shoves her arm down her throat. He just shoved. Yeah, he just shoves her his whole arm and her mouth is like unnaturally wide. Mm -hmm. And she's just like. It's absolutely terrifying. And that's a testament to the setting that they had built because it could visually that could look cheesy. Mm -hmm. You know, that that imagery and her her mouth distended the way it was and went because they do show her bent back without Marcus in the frame. So for you to see that she's experiencing this in real life. And and that's happening in the spiritual realm. Mm-hmm. And so, but then, you know, it's the, the close-up on her face as he lowers her down onto the floor. And it could, it could look really fake and cheesy, but because of the setting that they've created and the story they've built up until that point, it's really unsettling it's and scary. Terrifying. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, I think that most of us have had a dream or some kind of nightmare where we're trying to scream and we can't. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because she initially screams out and then her voice is just taken from her. And she you know, she's, she can't scream. I remember reading one time that some of those uh, ideas that we have during dreaming is actually based on our brain's link to our actual physical state at that point. Because like the reason that you feel like you can't run in a dream is because in real life, your muscles are stationary and your legs are not moving. And so the link between your brain and your legs isn't really active. Mm-hmm. And so in the dream, you feel like you are in slow motion or you can't run away because you can't physically move your legs in real life. Mm-hmm. And so the screaming thing would be the, the same type of thing where you're trying to scream in the dream, but you mm-hmm. can't because in, in real life, your body, since it's asleep, can't execute the screaming behavior. Right. Which is... So freaking scary. Really I mean, scary. Oh my God. <laughs> and then do you see that happen to poor, that poor little girl? And then she's just like, oh my gosh. And then, but I think part of what I wanted to mention about what makes Mike Flanagan so masterful, uh, and you see this in Haunting of Hill House a lot. Um, he'll just have like a random face or like just some something in the shadows. Uh, and I really enjoyed that. In the first movie, uh, the predecessor, they they look through the planchette and and there's like blatant spirits like staring at her. And it's like not like in the shadows. In this movie, um, Doris or even Lena, they look through the through the planchette and they kind of see something in the peripheral, like on the side. And it's around the corner. Yeah. And you're like, what was that? Like, did I see it as a viewer? You're not quite sure. But you feel unsettled. You feel nervous. And you kind of have to rewind and be like, did I just see what I thought I saw? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, and he does that over and over again. Like, did I just see what I thought I saw? And it's like. That's the idea of that building of the tension. And he's a master at that. (laughs) Building the tension and making it terrifying. And I think the scene, that scene with Doris getting possessed. And absolutely the scene with. Father Tom going and te- talking to Alice. And I mentioned to it, I mentioned it in the summary, but going to talk to Alice and Lena and say, he asks for Doris to give him a reading about his, his wife. 
-hmm. he says he they go upstairs and he's like okay he doris is talking to somebody you know but is not my wife yeah because he gave she she gave the wrong middle name yeah because but i was thinking that name that she said aloud reading my mind but she was reading my mind (laughs) reading my mind there's an entity and then he explains about the the papers that he found yeah. and or um, Lena found, and um, a nun he said, like was pol- is Polish and like and translated, and she found it all very disturbing and just like it described Marcus's life. You find out that the house is filled with spirits, and they've been basically watched this whole time. Yeah, they're well, not they safe. Pointed out that you know with the rule of the Ouija board, don't play in the graveyard. That uh, Lena says we've been playing in a graveyard. They've been, yeah. yeah, there were the bodies of those victims buried in the house. They've yeah, they've a hundred percent been playing in a graveyard amongst spirits and unwittingly just you know they've been watched. The uh, the spirit knew all of the answers to kind of verify it was her fa- the father because they've been there watching them this whole yeah. time, which is kind of made me feel a little bit like insidious like that movie insidious just like there's no escaping but also it's a haunted house i don't know it just it's it's scary um but i felt like it was a fantastic climax with just so much build up and then um henry thomas is just so he's such a great actor and he they did such a great job and i mean i can't say more great things about this film and um (laughs) you're obviously a fan obviously i'm a fan and uh, I will watch anything Mike Flanagan Flanagan does. He's he's great. But well, then uh, <laughs> should I do the parent recommendations? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah so um, both of the so my my twelve year old daughter has seen both of these movies. Um, I had showed her the prequel, the second movie, Origin of Evil, um, a while ago because I own it because it's terrific. Um, she had not seen the original because I don't own it because it's not so great. Um, but she did, uh, I did have her watch it with me, um, before this, before we recorded, um, the podcast because I wanted her input. And, um, with the original, I mean, she recognized Lynn Shay because she's seen the insidious movies and everything. And she's a fan. Uh, she did point out that she thought Olivia Cook looked like a quote, young Winona writer. Which I thought was interesting because she knows, I mean, she loves Winona Ryder from Beetlejuice. That would be like her first Winona Ryder experience. But then she's Mm -hmm. also a Stranger Things fan. So she knows what an older Winona Ryder looks like. So I'm like, Mm -hmm. I don't, I mean, you know, young Winona, whatever. Um, (laughs) But she, with the first one, she, she thought it was good. And so I was trying to kind of, you know, glean from her. It's hard with preteens to, you know, really get content from them um what uh so i thought here here's an uh, a way that we could evaluate it is it less give me a movie it's less scary than and then a movie that it is scarier than um and she really couldn't find a lot of movies that were less scary <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> the original um i kept naming scary movies she had seen and she was like that was scarier that was scarier that was scarier she said insidious the paranormal activity movies the gallows unfriended friend request all of these she was like these are scarier than ouija um she did say the what we call the og it the original miniseries with tim curry she said that was less scary 
which, you know, I, I could argue with her about that, but I've got other things to argue with her about. So not. <laughs> Um, and then, but she definitely felt like the prequel, the origin of evil second movie was better and scarier. Um, and then she's also seen Lulu Wilson in Annabelle creation. So she recognized her from her. She's actually seen the first half of the season of haunting of Hill house too. Mm -hmm. Um, and so she definitely thought that, you know, all of it was fairly scary from, um, a parent standpoint. The nice thing with these movies is there's no swearing, there's no nudity, there's no sex, there's none of that stuff that you need to be concerned about. It's really just what level of scariness is your kid prepared for? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's hard to gauge without watching the movie yourself. Um, but for Grace, and and she, she likes to be scared, um, that both of these movies were, you know, rock solid for her. They were, they were good. They were scary. They weren't so scary that she had to sleep in my bed or anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> they were safe in that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and like I said, she's 12. She was probably about 10 when she saw the prequel for the first time. Um, but yeah, I mean, they're, they're good, solid quote unquote, wholesome, scary movies to mm-hmm. show your kid if your kid wants to be scared and you don't want to show them something that has a bunch of gore or sex in it. <laughs> oh, for sure. Aside from like, I guess like the death death by suicide, but you could also argue that- uh, It these, wasn't even suicide. The, yeah, these characters were possessed yeah, and they then were killed by the spirits. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which I guess that kind of gets into like more the the- gritty details or like that yeah, well, and the, yeah minutia I, mean, I, I, I shouldn't the, be super casual i mean there are the if you have the kind of kid that's going to ask you a million questions about any everything you might come away with this like those kind of questions about you know well why did they think that they had you know that they hung themselves or why did they think this or what's a nazi <laughs> you know mm-hmm. um what's experimenting on people uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. what what do you mean experimenting um, yeah there there might be some uh you know subsequent questions that that could come out of that stuff but mm-hmm. i don't think anything that would be seriously problematic oh yeah okay well there you have it you can share it to your 12 year old yeah For sure, 12, yeah 12. Sure, uh, if, but if if only if they've seen Babadook. That's our, our, uh, uh, yeah, our that's usual. If they can handle Babadook, they can handle anything. <laughs> if they can handle Babadook, then they can handle this this movie as yeah, well. Yeah, except It Follows, if you were listening to our last episode. Do not show them It Follows. <laughs> no, I mean, you have to have, like, the talk. You have to, you know, you have to do a lot of things. But yeah. that you may not be prepared for if you watch It Follows. Don't rush into that as a parent. <laughs> yeah. So I think for our next movie that we're going to cover uh katie had watched recently the movie monkey shines yes this is my recommendation it's uh because it, it's streaming on hbo max right now uh may not be uh, i don't know how long but uh it's in a uh, george romero film from 1988 called monkey shines so we're going to talk about that mm-hmm. and i've never seen it so hopefully it'll i'll i'll enjoy it i, I love romero so I'll, I'll of course give it a watch um we also we talked about uh, 
the Ouija board and its origins with our friend Lorena, and she is kind of like an armchair, a bit of an armchair expert about uh, uh, Ouija boards. She played with them. Being one of our like major scary movie buddies, like watches all of them with us. She for sure watches it. She's a psychiatric nurse. She has very interesting viewpoints, and uh, you know, adds to uh, co- our conversations where we're, when we're all together. Um, and we chatted with her, had a discussion about uh, her childhood playing with a Ouija board. She watched both movies and she has some interesting takeaways. So uh, stay tuned for that conversation. Um, I think that's it. Yeah. All right. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Okay, so this is coming from the from the Peruvian kid that we didn't have access to the Ouija board. However, we were very, um, very tricky. So we actually wrote the letters Uh and little pieces of paper, put it around the table, and we'll just play all the time. Contact us in like Peruvian. We did it in Peru. Then we did it in Spain. It was the, if you tell me that I might contact a ghost spirit, I will sign up for it. That's it. I'm like, I'm sold. Let's do this. So did you have some sort of planchette item oh, yeah. that you used? A glass. It was a, it was a, um, just a regular glass. Like a magnifying glass or yeah. like a glass It glass. was like a like glass, a glass, glass. Or something that you used to drink water. And then we'll just do that. We used that once. Oh, and yeah. then we used some, I think we used something else the other time, but there was always kind of like a circular thing. Yeah. And it works yeah. exactly as if you're using a regular one because well that's yeah. like at the end of origin yeah. of evil when she takes a lens out of a pair of, mm-hmm. of eyeglasses yeah. and puts it in her fingers and uses uh-huh. it as the you can use any way. because if you really think yeah. about it you can use if you're anything. really determined to yeah. you can use all sorts <laughs> communicate of communicate with yeah. so lorena was calling evil spirits to her house i was before my mother took yes. mine and threw it in the trash yes In this next segment, Lorena shares her love for the Ouija board, along with some history about the controversial board game. I love the Ouija board. I'm sorry, guys. I'm a fan. I've done it so many. No, the Ouija board game itself. The board itself. I love it. That's why I'm here doing this because I love the Ouija board. I love it. But the interesting fact that I learned was that, so 1973, The Exorcist comes alone, freaks everybody out. I love that movie. Um, (laughs) Did I say I love that movie? Awesome. Um, And then we find out that the Ouija board is the cause of all the evil, right? But I was looking- Is it though? Um, Yeah, there's the- It's it's not not the cause though. So this is the wrench. Is it a conduit? Um, or what there was something. It, it, it might be an an early red flag. There was a, a artifact. Okay, that she got. Reagan, she got right? in the in the cut scenes and then director's cut that the exorcist is some some dimension to the Ouija board. Mm-hmm. But what I wanted to bring up is that before 1973, the Ouija was considered just a silly board game. There was no connection with the, with evil or spiritual world. And even if you go back to one of the episodes of I Love Lucy, they they were playing it 
and it was kind of fun. They play Ouija on I Love Lucy? Yes, girl. I did my research. <laughs> oh, my God. I didn't know that. So if you go back to how they uh, they brought up the board, right, the whole marketing was like, this is the easiest way to connect with the other world and connect with the dead. And you have to go back to the spiritualism when people were so completely, you know, God, I can't, what's the word? When you really want something. Naive. No, they were not naive. So during the 19th century, we know spiritualism started. Suggestible. Suggestible. And people really wanted to talk to the dead. Gullible. Is that it? (laughs) That's that's the thing. So the whole thing, it was like before that, it was here. You can do a sense at home for $1.50, original price of the Ouija board. And that's why everybody did it. And it was perfectly fine. And it was good. And actually, people would do the Ouija board on Saturday and then go to church on Sunday. Church said it was okay until 1973 when the exorcist passed. The power of a horror movie. It changed everything. It changed everything. So wait, what you're saying is that the Catholic Church condoned the use of a Ouija board until the exorcist came out? Yes. It was okay for Ah. the Americans. Okay, let's go back. Not the Catholic Church itself. The little Pope did not come say, it's okay for you to do the Ouija board. But in their minds, it was okay. Because that's the way that it was marketed. And remember, people were into a spiritualism. The spiritualism, yeah. yeah. The Fox's sisters, which we're going to talk about because that was my whole time. And people wanted to do that. Remember, people live only up to 50 years old. That was the lifespan. So if you're giving me something... In that the is, 70s? No, before that. Before 1973. 19, before 1973, when we're talking when the board started, that was the lifespan. After 1973, then you start seeing how they think that the board, it's an evil thing. Yeah. Which is not, really. Because, so it's like a gateway to hell. But it's not, really. Which I was really disappointed. Because I really thought it was a gateway to hell. Sorry. And you tried. You tried your darndest with your glass. <laughs> I tried. But then I learned that it's actually a psychological that has been that you can actually reproduce has been reproduced with a robot like the power of suggestion it's actually called the deomotor effect it's like your body does that without you knowing but the good thing is like like, when you're playing yeah when you're playing so that's why it's always true when you tell you're moving it I am moving it because you don't know you're moving it it's actually a psychological effect so it's like a subconscious thing yes okay In this final segment, Lorena shares her closing thoughts about the 2014 Ouija film, along with some plot holes she observed in her re-watching of the film. Okay, so this is the thing for me. She goes in and tells her what's going on, and then she goes like, oh, that's my sister. My mom killed her. She's the evil one. We have to go against my mom. So we go with dad back to the house, right? And then they go in, 
they find the body of the dead sister. You have to destroy the the vessel and the medium. So you have to destroy the Ouija board and the corpse. So she goes from Nona though. Didn't yeah, the Nona said destroy the boat. The Nona Nona says, oh, yeah, you're right. Nona was like, you have to do that. And I was like, how did did Nona know that? Everybody Obviously, it's because she's Italian, though. right? It, and Nona's, she played the Nona's board. No shit. Nona knows. Everybody knows this. Nona's especially. Yeah, Actually, you know. I'm going to take that back because okay. I was watching that with my kid. And when that scene happened, he just jumped up and he goes, no. He actually got time to get off his video game and say, nope, that's not true. And I'm like, why not? Because there's a TikTok. <laughs> That says you have to chop it in half, burn one half, bury the other one, and that's the there's only way to do it. There's a TikTok for that. For yeah, Luigi? there's a TikTok about that. Jesus. There must be a TikTok for everything. Oh yeah, for everything. Yeah. Ouija board, evil Ouija board disposal TikTok. Exactly. But <laughs> at that time, I was so proud of him. I was like, like, "This is my oh, child. Come closer to me." <laughs> Let's cuddle and watch this. This bad. Well, Katie says not so let's, bad. Okay. Let's wrap up. So this oh, is my question because we're gonna finish with this. The whole time. But the Bougie okay. first one. Yeah, so this yeah. is this is my question. I want you to ask me, without the knowledge from 2016, just with the knowledge of 2014 Bougie. We're watching the first time that she does the sands. And she looks through the planchette. How the hell did she figure it out? So she looks at the planchette, and then she sees the little girl with the stone on mouth. Yeah. And then yeah. the mom. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Then we lay, we assume that the mom is the one that's killing because that's what Lena told us, right? Yes. Okay. And that we need to free the little girl because she yeah. can. She's still, you know. Cannot yeah. move around, yeah. and she's the only one that's going to kill the mom. Vilifying the mom at that point, they're making the mom the bad person and the daughter the victim. So, yeah. at the end, when they unsew the daughter's mouth, they cut her. Her they find okay. the corpse right, and then cut it yeah. open. The they yeah. cut it open. They do the whole thing. But who was killing everybody before? Not the mom, because the mom was the good one. Trying to stop the girl. The girl had the sewn mouth, so she couldn't be free to do everything that she couldn't do. So I would was assume killing? it was the other spirits, Who? though. We did not what? know that until 2016. That's true. Bow. Writers I, suck. I, well, I think the assumption, it, to whatever extent, <laughs> even though Doris was still sewn up, she she had power to manipulate the living. But there was no difference between Doris sewn up and Doris unsewn. It was the same thing. Okay. They were still killing. So what is, who's killing who? It doesn't make sense. Because once she's back. uncut, she can start killing Michael Bay level. No, she's doing the same. Remember she did the whole waitress flip to the ceiling Backwards, hit her head. Yeah. What the hell? Ridiculous. Yeah. That's how she did. What are you talking about? Isabella, right? Like, yes. She was like flossing. That doesn't happen to it. Oh, when she's in the bathroom. Thank you. 
which she is horrible. In the air and it's her hair, her Jesus, head hits the sink. horrible. Yeah. That kills her. So and so then the, the principal's like, "I'm sorry about all your friends dying. Here's a brochure to help you cope, <laughs> help you through your grief, and where you can you you can go home early." So that is why. I don't. It's. I cannot find anything that can actually bring that movie back to something good. Like because, redeemable. Yeah, because the writers yeah. even forgot what the hell they were doing. And this is the tidbit because I did find out they reshot this movie so many times because it didn't make sense for them. So at the end, they forgot what they were doing. So they just like cut it. Yes, cut it and back. cut it pieces by pieces. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was one of those, we need to bring a movie for Halloween because everybody's doing it. Came out on October 24th. Here's what we have for you. 